the optimal life. I have to start by asking you how long it took you to grow that stellar beard of yours. <laughs> I started actually end of 18. It kind of got chopped off beginning of 20. So technically January 20, you could say. Have you trimmed it at all since or have you just let it go? I trimmed it a tiny, tiny bit about a few months ago, but I just been letting it go. I, I do trim it the sides, but oh, okay. I just been letting the length go. Uh, but it's funny because my wife actually likes it, which is the only reason why it even started <laughs> and kept going. Yeah. Um, now my kids are like, and my daughter's like, just let it go down to your, you know, to your waist. <laughs> yeah, we gotta go, like we got to go with the ZZ top. You, you got some competition there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and it's kind of just turned into its own like brand, actually, to be honest with you. Oh, I, I should say it's it's helped build my brand um, and kind of formed its own thing. Because uh, I never had a beard my entire life, you know, oh, wow. and I'm 47. So literally a few years ago. But it's uh, all my kids kind of know now. So it's kind of weird how it's so new to me, but it's all they know. Because yeah, obviously, my, my, my kids, my kids, I have three girls. My kids don't like my facial hair. So they want me to stay clean. <laughs> My fiance wants my facial hair. I, I'm engaged now. My fiance wants my facial hair. But when I start getting a little too long, she goes, no, 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 that's too much. So you can't win with anybody. You know how it is. Yeah. No, you can't win. True. When there's multiple opinions going on in a home, it's hard to make everybody happy. If you have multiple kids, I'm sure they're complete opposites. <laughs> that is 100% true. So, um, yeah, I wanted to get into your story. Uh, you've got the backdrop there um, with some well-known names in business. I know you partnered with Kevin Harrington. How did that relationship come about years ago? So it's funny. You know, I in 2017, I started getting into like the e-learning industry, selling courses, whatnot. And all of a sudden, I, um, I, I just decided, after I decided to do it, it took me a while to actually do it because I knew I would have to put myself out there, build a brand, all the stuff I just don't like doing. And I struggled with it for like a year. So then when I finally committed to it, and it's about July of 17, I said, all right, I'm going to do this. By the time November came, I said to myself, all right, I should probably accelerate this and like partner with somebody. So I just literally just spammed all the sharks that's ever been on the show. Started there. Uh, Damon, John, Barbara Corcoran, and Kevin Harrington talked to those three uh, teams. And uh, what happened was uh, when Kevin's son, who I didn't know was his son at the time, called me up and said, hey, you could be interviewed by Kevin. Uh, they're doing it in January of 18 down in Tampa. I paid $9,000 just to put myself in the same room as him. <clears throat> and I pitched him there. I uh, had about 30-second window from him walking in one room to another. I just jumped right in front of him, pitched him, and I... Uh, Nine months later, he said yes, and we've been married ever since. <laughs> wow. Wow. How, how uh, when you have a relationship like that, Kevin Harrington was one of the original, you alluded to the sharks uh, on Shark Tank. And yep. when you have a relationship like that, has have you found him to be more of a, a, a passive investor? Has he been more operational with you, or has it depended on the situation? It definitely depends on the situation. But for me, I knew that the more I needed them, the less, the harder it would be to do something with them. So for me, all I wanted to do was just use his name, utilize his brand, and utilize them as little as possible. But his son, one of his sons, he has two sons. Uh, the other son that didn't sell me lives about 20 minutes away from me. And that was actually the main reason why I really wanted to work with them was because I knew I could actually build a better relationship with them because he's right down the road. 
So, you know, we obviously go out to lunch, dinner, play golf, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just definitely, I gelled with them really, really well uh, from the beginning. So I was just in Tampa a couple of days ago. We had some people on NBC in Tampa with Kevin. Uh, you know, we all went to dinner, et cetera. You know, it, it's just being in that environment, being around him. Uh, it, it's amazing uh, just how many doors it opens, how many people want to talk to me now. Like I'm like the cool kid at the table, right? Um, <clears throat> just changes everything. So, but yeah, they're more passive with me, uh, but anything I need, they get it done very quickly. They're on top of it. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. I mean, it's been five years. It's crazy to even think about. It. I thought maybe it'll last a year or two, but. Right. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Partner. Partnerships are not easy to sustain. So five <laughs> years is longer, as you know, is longer than most. Yep. Um, take us back to that day. Give us, what was the pitch? Oh, okay. So I, I, so what happened was we're in his studio in Tampa. We're doing a brainstorming session. There was about six or seven companies there that all get interviewed by him that day. He was doing something with Fox business at the time. And we did a brainstorming session. Uh, one of the coolest stories that he actually, uh, that, that they talked about this guy, Corey, that helped run a studio with him. He basically said that they were on a selling a vacuum on home shopping network or whatever channel it was. And it just wasn't selling. It was like a $400 vacuum. So obviously they're competing with the, the big guys, right? So they're they're doing this, <clears throat> not selling. All of a sudden, they had a retractable cord you know, for the power. And they did, they did that and they retracted it by itself. <clears throat> and what happened was afterwards, they finished and sales went up. <clears throat> they're like, wow, what just happened? So like the only thing we did different was the cord. So they looked into it and they found out that that's the only one that has a retractable cord at that price point. So they said every single, so that of course they tried it again and they did the cord. And then the guys in the background with a thumbs up, yeah, yeah, you know, sales just went up. So he goes, all I did the entire time was pull that cord. <laughs> wow. But anyway, it's just, just a cool story always stuck with me. And just, you know, how, what, kind of teach you a little bit about selling and what, how people perceive things and whatnot. And it's just weird sometimes of what people why people buy stuff. But anyway, so I positioned myself in that room to be at the door because I knew Kevin would be the first person out. And I knew that would be the chance that I have to pitch him because after that, he's going to be just slammed all day. So he well, walks let, me just inter- let me interject real quick, if you don't mind, Phil. Mm-hmm. So you actually mindfully, when you walked into that room, you said, I'm going to take the far seat right here by the door, by the exit. Because I know my, my, my chance is going to be right when he's about to walk out, I'm going to get him. You already you already had that strategy in place. Yeah, I, I, I'm a 10 step ahead person all the time. I'm never thinking about what's happening in this moment. And I just I pictured the whole scene out in my head when I got in there and I'm like, all right, how's this going to play out? When am I going to be able to talk to this guy? And I'll tell you a story of Damon John where I did literally the same exact thing. Uh, but anyway, so so he walks out of the room. I jump out and I knew I had 30 seconds just to just grab his attention. So I said, Hey, Kevin, uh, Phil Smith, how you doing? Listen, I'm doing about 2 million a year right now in revenue. All I want to do is partner with you to utilize your name. I don't want any money from you. And uh, I just think that we can grow this thing bigger together. You know, something along those lines. I don't remember the exact wording, obviously, but I just knew that if I didn't ask him for money, I would get more interest. And if I told him I really didn't need a lot of his time, I would definitely get more interest, right? So he basically said, hey, that's great. I'm definitely interested. He uh, introduced me to this guy, Mark Timms, who worked with on the Zig Ziglar side that they were doing some stuff with at the time. 
And I started my conversation with him, moved over to this guy, Steve, out of Chicago, his uh, attorney, agent, whatever you want to call him. And I dealt with Steve pretty much the entire time until September of 18 when we signed a deal. In the $2 million, you were a solopreneur in this business, correct? Yes. Yeah, I still am. You still am. You still are doing it. Yeah. So what exactly was the $2 million in revenue? What was that really? No, at the time, my core business was lead generation, meaning generate leads and sell them. Generate leads and just sell them, right? That was it. I was mainly in the business loan space, a lot of lending stuff, back into credit repair, different types of uh, business services. So I had buyers that were just buying the leads. And the reason why I even got into the course business was because I had like a million leads at the time that I generated going back to 2014 when I started. And I said to myself, how do I monetize these leads more? I have all these leads. I have all these people who want a business loan. Most don't even have a business. They're maybe a startup to just getting going. So I said to myself, why don't I just show them how literally how I generated them as a lead and how I'm trying to get them a business loan. And I'll teach them how to become a business loan broker. So mm-hmm. I literally, my my sales video was showing them how I generated them as a lead. And I said, why don't you do this business if you want to make some money? So all I did was monetize my current lead flow with just another strategy. And I was charging you know $997 at the time for the course just to start off. And it just started selling right away. Um, I'm also the type of person that likes to sell things before I actually do it. So I sold the course before I even created it because I'm like, well, why do all the work if no one's going to buy it, right? <laughs> so it took me took me 24 hours to do it. And I said, oh, crap, I need, I need to build a course. Uh, so four hours later, I had the worst course you could possibly have up and running. But and what I mean by that, the ugliest thing I'll ever say. But all I did was get practical information like, you know, start off. Here you go. Here's what to do. It wasn't a lot of information, but it was all you needed. And mm-hmm. People loved it when I first started. It's great. Generate leads and sell them. Let's break that down because there's a lot of people that are listening that don't even know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So when you say generate, let's start with generate leads. What exactly does that mean? And and how were you? What funnels were you using to generate? Yeah. So it's funny because everybody talks about click funnels. If you know anything about this industry and all the awards they give, and if I actually use click funnels, I would. I've done twenty million since, so I I would have whatever that is in the click funnel world. But I only use WordPress. So, but this is the way it worked out. I run an ad on Facebook. Let's just say Facebook, Google, YouTube doesn't matter, but let's just say Facebook. So someone's scrolling, they see the ad, they go, oh, "That looks interesting." They click on it. They go to a form for the business owner industry. I obviously we're targeting business owners. So they went there. We asked them if they're interested in a business loan, line of credit, et cetera. They filled out the form. It was only seven fields, first name, last name, email, phone, time in business, how much revenue they're generating. Um, Some buyers wanted state. Some buyers wanted a credit score, whatever. And then what happened was once I generated that lead, now it gets filtered out automatically through the lead distribution software. So let's just say a buyer wanted a a lead that's over $10,000 a month in revenue that lead would now go to their CRM. A lot of big companies use Salesforce. So usually that's who we uh, sent it over to. When, so when you say CRM, customer resource management, is that? Yeah. Uh, CRM is basically just where they manage all their data. So it could right. be when they're doing a dialing out, they're just managing their leads on where where they're in the pipeline. So just, um, just man- yeah, just any CRM is just managing data. Uh, so Salesforce is one of the biggest companies out there that does that. Very expensive. And um, so we would automatically now move that lead over. Lead would go into their system. They would obviously call out and try to get them a business loan. 
So that that's just the way that I did it when I first started. And uh, one of the things that I started learning real quick. So I first started, you know, business is all about timing. That's why I learned it's all about timing. You know, it, they call it luck a lot of times, but it's really just timing. So I started doing it in October of 14. I ran my first Facebook ad ever. And that lead that I was selling, I was selling for $60 and I was generating for 18 So I was just one of the, actually one of the first people to even run Facebook ads for the merchant. And I'm talking about merchant cash advance, which is a high interest business loan. It's basically, if your bank says no, you go pay these guys 40% interest and they'll give you some money, right? right? So the the joke of the industry is like, if you have a pulse, we'll give you money. So, but these lenders are making a ton of money, obviously charging that much. Now they call it a factor rate to make it legal and all this legal stuff because it's obviously uh, uh, not legal to charge that much interest. So that's why the Chase banks of the world will never. So, so you use in this instance when you first started, you used Facebook in this example. Yes, and you set some kind of criteria targeting small business owners. Correct. People that would be in, in need of a small business loan of some sort. Correct. And uh, and then once you would get them to fill out the form and you would funnel it to various different lenders, you would get a, a commission regardless. At, at that point, once you send that one lead, you're getting paid on that lead regardless of what ends up happening between those two parties. Correct. I also got paid up front. So, and I also got paid in a way where they can't get their money back. So I didn't take credit cards. I only took wires, ACH, et cetera. So that's just, it basically it's, they, I give them exclusive for 30 days. It's their lead for 30 days. After that, I'll sell it as an age lead. So that was 30 days old. I'll sell it to somebody else after 30 days. Uh, so that one buyer, like I literally had some companies that paid me over a million dollars, you know, in leads over time, of course. Um, so yeah, you generate that lead. It gets sent over to buyer. They pay you. Now, some companies won't pay you up front. Right, they'll pay you over time, maybe thirty days out. But when I first started, you know, I was like, I don't want to lose money, so I force them to pay me up front. But you know, what it is when you control the data, you control that business. There's companies they they would do whatever I wanted. If I, I and this is exactly what I mean by that. So there's a company called Lendio. Lendio is now a big player in the in this in this business, the merchant cash advance industry. But at the time, they were actually a lead broker, so they took in leads and actually just resold them, which is something like Lending Tree started out is is that same exact way. Right. So Lendio started up. I was sending them leads. They loved them. They were making a killing off them. So I said to them, I'm like, all right, well, you need to take these leads 24 hours a day. Because they only want them nine to five. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. I need to run this stuff 24-7. So because they needed the leads and because I wouldn't give in, they built out a 24-7 call center. So they actually, I forced them. I would force them to take leads on Christmas, Thanksgiving. It didn't matter. You're taking them, twenty. you want to buy leads from me. You want my leads, you're taking them 24-7, 365. That's it. I controlled them. Because the leads were good, they loved them. I actually helped two companies. One company get acquired just because of my lead flow, and one company raised money from Goldman Sachs. Uh, it's crazy. So when you control the leads, you control the data, you control the company. Uh, let me ask you a very ignorant question, mm-hmm. piggybacking off of what you just said. What made you? What made Phil's company so special in generating these leads that other people couldn't just go on Facebook? Put up the the data, the form, and do the same exact thing. Yep, they just didn't know how. 
That's it. They tried. A lot of people tried. So my secret sauce that eventually turned into my secret sauce because it wasn't at, at first because I didn't know what I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. But I, I will tell you, one of the first buyers I ever so, started selling leads to, the company I actually ended up getting acquired. They were called Business Bounce back in the day. This guy Dave Brown owned it, and he actually said to me in the first couple of meetings, he goes, "I gotta tell you, you don't really seem like a lead guy. You know, usually like scumbags." Where, 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 real quick, where was Dave Brown from? There's Dave Brown's a common name. What, do you know where he was from? Uh, Long Island. Oh, okay. yeah. They Different were Dave Brown. Okay. Anyways, go ahead. So he was actually an ex-attorney and had a uh, big mortgage company. I think it was called Top Dot back in the early 2000s. So he came from, a lot of people in the merchant cash industry actually came from mortgage because mortgage collapsed in 08. Everybody jumped into the merchant cash advance. Then a lot of them went back into mortgage. So those those type of guys just move around. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he told me, he's like, you don't really seem like the normal lead guy because most of them are scumbags and uh, they're always looking to try to screw you. And I was like, nah, man, I'm just, an, you know, had multiple companies, whatever. I just see this as a way to make money, but I want to provide you with a quality lead. Um, but you are, it's it's not easy to just go out there to start generating leads at a certain price point. You got to know exactly how to do it. But here is the secret sauce that changed everything for me. See, what happened was I was generating those leads for that $18, selling for $60. But what happened was that $18 lead, after everyone started seeing basically what I was doing at the time, and more people started jumping on because they started, well, where's Phil get these leads? Oh, Facebook. Well, let's go run Facebook ads, right? Exactly what you just said. So what happened was that $18 lead a year later, end of 2015, was $70. Bucks. They even went even higher than that. So now what do you do? So when that, that time came, I started, and I knew this was going to happen, right? Me thinking my 10 steps ahead. Uh, at the beginning of uh, 15, I started seeing it. Every month went up like $5, $5, $5, $5. All of a sudden, $18 is $30, $35, $40. I'm like, all right, well, what do I do? So then I started monetizing the leads mo- multiple ways. So Let me now- just stop you real quick, too, <clears throat> Phil. I'm sorry, because this is, <clears throat> this is uh, new stuff to me and new to a lot of people listening, for sure. Um, when you say it's going from 18 all the way up to 30 or 35, how, what's driving that? Uh, competition, because it's, it's Facebook's an auction. So the more people going after that specific target market, which is, uh, for my case, uh, business owners, the more people hitting that market, similar type of ads, now the price goes up and Got Facebook's it. an automatic auction. It's not like Google where you tell them what you want to pay. Facebook just charges you what they uh, want to charge you, right? I so, so, now, so there, there was a lot of uh, a demand for these groups of right. people. And exactly. naturally, Facebook recognized that and said, this is going to cost you more. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Now, and of course, now the industry itself, what would happen was it started getting more known. When I got in, it was, it was still new. Mm-hmm. People didn't know like, oh, what's this? Like, can you give me money with bad credit, three months in business? I had just had to generate $10,000 a month in revenue. You're going to give me money? Sure. Like, this is new to everybody. So after t- after years later, now it got known. Now everybody knows about it. the data is getting beat up. There's only so many businesses in the country that can even get approved. I think it was like 9 million companies total that can even get approved for something like this, even though it's 30 million companies uh, total. So, so what happened was now I said to myself, well, okay, well, a lot of these companies are coming to me. Only 10% of the total lead volume fits that $10,000 or more in revenue. So when I was generating 1,000 leads a day, 900 leads I was doing nothing with. Just think about that, right? So then I just one day, I'm like, well, what do I do with these 900 leads, right? I got to do something with these leads because now the leads are costing me more money. So my overall lead cost was actually technically like still like in the single digits, like eight bucks. 
but once or less when I started, of course, it was more like a dollar, two dollars, but then it became eight dollars, 10 percent now became 80. Right. So now my my premium lead that I was selling for 60 is now cost me 80. So now I had to go out and sell the other 90 percent. So the first company I worked with is a company called Lexington Law, and they took all those for three dollars a piece. I was like, great. Now, what else could I do? So you, got I just, 20, you got twenty seven hundred out of that. Exactly. And then that started accumulating. Then I found this company called NAV. NAV was a business credit monitoring company. At the end of the day, the way it worked out is when someone filled out the form, they went to a thank you page. I forwarded them to NAV for a free trial. They would pay me. Eventually, they started me at like six bucks. They went to eight, 10, 12. That was the company actually helped get raise money from Goldman Sachs. They, they, my guy would call me, this guy, Joel, all the time, Phil, if you're ever going to turn us off or shut us or lower volume, you got to let me know ahead of time. I'm like, yeah, no problem, whatever. But they, and every time I gave them a little bit of an issue, they would pay me more money. I was like, that's what I was saying. Like, you just control the company. What I found out years later, Joel told me, like, literally, it was like last year. He goes, hey, man, I just got to tell you something. Remember back then when I was on your ass, all this shit? He goes, we were trying to raise money from Goldman Sachs and we had to show the volume consistently. That's why we just kept paying you more money because we were knew we were going to get like 50 million from that. So I didn't know this at the time or else I would have charged him even more money. Right. You go, <laughs> damn, I left a lot of money on that table. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And, and I had learned a lot about that over the years. I'm like, well, I could have made even more. So, but what happened was they started doing it. Now that backed out to about a $2 overall leads. Because what happened was I would generate a lead. They fill out the convert my form. They go to thank you page. They go to nav. I get 20% conversion. So at the end of the day, it came out to like $2 a lead. So when I generate a lead, I would make $2 off nav. So that was an extra two bucks. So I was getting three from Lexington Law, another two from nav. They had another company that started buying leads for me and so on and so forth, right? I just started adding them more and more and more. Uh, then after a while, the micro merchant cash advantage industry came out, which means between 4000 a month in revenue and 10000 a month in revenue, they could get money. And then it just started just snowballing from there where all these new buyers would come in. Then you would have companies that said, just give me the people, no joke. Is crazy. Attorneys would call me up and say, give me all the people that got funding because we're going to get them out of their funding. Mm. I'm like, what? And I never did that. I, I didn't feel right selling these to those guys. I'm like, this is weird. So the industry just started snowballing to all these different services. So now I would be carving out my leads for all these different people. So anyway, uh, it it cranked for years, years. Mm. Um, and then realistically when COVID happened is when I kind of moved on from doing that specifically, uh, that specific funnel and buyers or whatever. Uh, and then we got into some other stuff, but, um, but yeah, it's been interesting. Well, what I'm finding that I'm hearing here is uh, you would, this sounds like their relationships even matter in this business, which you wouldn't think you're the guy behind the screen. You, you put together this lead generation program and the rest is history, but it sounds like that you've actually cultivated meaningful relationships. Like once you've gotten in with these various companies and groups, uh, the relationship matters. A hundred percent, man. I have to tell you, you're you're as good as your last lead, right? So if I started working with a company and I gave them bad leads right off the bat, you never get a second chance. Mm -hmm. If you give them good leads and then something goes wrong later, you have another chance, right? So I always do my best to meet everybody in person. You know, this is also going back to 15, 16, 17, you know, going Zoom and stuff clearly wasn't a thing. So I was, you know, if someone was remote, 
I did my best to try to meet them, especially went to conferences or events. You see if they're there. But a lot of companies are in New York, which I'm lucky because I'm here. So I got to meet a lot of people in person very easily. So that's the way I always did it. Listen, I've been doing consulting. I've done every business I've ever had is a B2B play, right? I only work with businesses. I've never got to the product world, e-commerce or anything like that. So I've always worked with businesses one way or another in all my companies. And I just always knew that you have to meet them, right? I mean, you have to build that relationship and meeting them is obviously a big part of that. But having those relationships, see, here's a big thing. There was, was one company out of Utah, never met them in person, but they, when I started working with them, I said, listen, let's figure this out. Don't just buy leads for me, a hundred leads, test order. And if it doesn't work, you walk away, let's figure it out. It took me three months to work with them to finally figure out the exact lead that worked for them. And he loved it. He's like, dude, it's great. He had so many companies come to him. I'll give you leads cheaper. I'll do this. Try to sell them leads. They're like, yeah, no, Phil's been there for me. I'm not even going to bother saving a dollar a lead, $2 a lead, because I don't know if that company is going to screw me over. Like we've been working together for years now. So yeah. it, reminds, been- it reminds me, Phil, of the three rules of business. I've said this many times. Rule number one, all things being equal, people want to do business with friends. Yeah. Rule number two, all things not being equal. Hence, maybe Phil charges a little bit more. People still want to do business with friends. And rule number three, make friends. <laughs> and that's exactly what you've done. <laughs> and, and you mentioned and you mentioned conferences. And I saw uh, you had a video on your website on the homepage of uh, basically testimonials of random people from a conference. So talk about that. What what conference was that uh, specifically? And it sounds like you were really uh, making quite an impact with these folks. So, yeah. So I did my first event. So I started doing this e-learning stuff in, in 17. 2018, I meet this company out of Houston and they wanted to do sales for me. So I started utilizing. They did a great job. And that's the only way I could really grow because I wasn't going to do it myself. So I was just trying to sell everything online. But they're like, let us take over phone sales for you. So he told me instantly, you got to start doing events. I'm like, eh, not really. No one's going to show up. I'm like, why would people come and see me, right? So 2019 comes around and I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Let's try it. Let's see if I get one person to pay me five grand to hang out with me for one day. That's how it all started. Then all of a sudden we had like three, four, five, six. I'm like, all right, let's make it a one day event. All right. Then we got 10, 11, 12. All right, let's make a two day event. And that was my first event, March of 2019. I had 14 people show up. Couldn't believe it. 14 and people at 5,000 ahead. Correct. And then nice. I had $10,000 uh, upsell uh, at the event. That you're, you're sitting there going, hey, maybe I've got Tony Robbins uh, events in my future. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it's really not my thing. Like I hate talking to people and, and being standing in front of a room. I'm good. I'm better at it now, but, and we have a lot more. I was doing them all by myself at the time. So for two straight days, I just talked for like 16 hours, right? So it was a lot. But then we got uh, our next event was June of 19. We did that one with Kevin Harrington. So then what I learned is after I started working with Kevin, I said to myself, hey, you know what? The only way I'm really going to get these guys to take me seriously or do more stuff with me, I got to do something with them. So I started learning about him. And they actually invited me to in New York City to see him speak one day. And after he spoke for about an hour, hour and a half, he walks off the stage and it was less, everybody wanted a piece. Like, how do I talk to him? How do I talk to him? How do I talk to him? And he comes out and his, you know, me and his son Brian were there. 
And he's like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> because he's just not, he's going to get inundated, right? So as we're driving home from there, I, I think by some like, I can make money off this guy. And this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, how do you not make money off this guy? So I tell them, guys, why don't you do your own events? You speak at all these events. Why don't you do your own? And like, yeah, we just haven't done it, whatever. You know, they're thinking about it. I said, what if I just did it? I'll do it all. You just show up. How's that? I'm like, listen, if you want to do it, sure. So this is like right after our Tampa event in June. That's where Kevin lives. So I always do my events closest to him or New York because his son lives here. So that August, we did another event with Kevin in uh, Times Square, New York City. And then what happened was in October, we did my first event with Kevin with his stuff, like his his services. And that was our first event that we kind of did combined. We did it in the Bellagio in Vegas. And so we went from my first event, 14 people to like 35 to like 50 to 60 to almost 100 by October. And then we did January, we did Orlando. We had almost 200 and then, you know, COVID wow. hit after that. So it, it skyrocketed right off the bat and utilized. And, but by utilizing Kevin and working with him and doing his stuff, <clears throat> big game changer. And then I it got even closer with them. Then they introduced me to this guy, Omar Periu. Omar Periu, his business turned into LA Fitness. He's a big Tony Robbins guy. He sells for Tony Robbins and all this other stuff. So I meet him in Fort Lauderdale at a steakhouse on A1A one time at the W. And um, I walk in with like, you know, five or six. I always just bring like all my friends with me wherever I go. So there's like six of us. I meet this guy, Omar, great guy. I mean, this guy is amazing. So Kevin's like, go meet with him and see if we should have him MC the events. And so Omar started emceeing the events and started being involved. And I still work with Omar today. We're actually building out a CMO service with Kevin and Omar as we speak um, right wow. now, um, which is I'm really excited about. So it's just crazy, but yeah, building those relationships. And like you said, you know, it's being around people you like, you know, that you can be friends with. And that's the main reason why I really want to work with Kevin, even though he's not a shark tank anymore, that none of that stuff mattered to me. You know, a lot of people look at that like it matters. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? The guy just took Celsius to an $11 billion market cap. You don't need to be on TV, you know, to, uh, to do this stuff, but People like the celebrity aspect. Of they course. do. They do. And, and it, that's getting me, we're getting close to finishing, but that gets to, all the different things you're doing now. I mean, you you clearly started in lead gen, and that's it. Sounds like that's something that you're still somewhat involved in. Um, but you've you've expanded. You've talked uh, the the TV interviews, the consulting, the marketing software, the speaking engagements, loan broker network. Talk to us exactly what, what you're doing. A lot of things over there, my friend. What exactly uh, are you focusing on, and how would how does this work in terms of working with other people? Yeah, I got to tell you, it's kind of crazy because I've been part of five acquisitions now. I've been on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing private companies for the fifth time this year as a one employee company. And everything I do now is all strategic, right? It's all designed. Like I don't get involved in any company unless it's going to be something you know big or has that potential. But right now, today, everything's legion. That, that's the thing, even though we're providing certain services, whatever, but I'll give you exactly what I'm doing right now. So Loan Broker Network is is our, what ter- was a course business turned into basically a service-based operation through all our partners, everything we do. It's over a hundred people involved that are taking care of everybody that comes in in terms of closing their deals. So it's all lead gen. All we do is teach people lead gen. That's it. Everything else is done for them. So that's Loan Broker Network. The new services through what we created all in one marketing.com. All in one marketing.com was a software as a service business. 
just automate SMS, email, CRM, all that type of stuff. So it started out as that. Then we started getting people on TV and being published where we guarantee we'll get somebody on NBC, CBS. That's what we just did in Tampa the other day. We had a couple of people be interviewed with Kevin on there. But the new services is uh, basically a chief marketing officer service. But here's the thing. It's not about the services. It's about the lead gen. So this is exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to start generating those leads like we talked about before. Run Facebook, Google, YouTube ads saying, hey, are you interested in marketing services? You need a CMO. Whatever you need help with, we can help you. Even if you need funding and all that type of stuff, those leads are going to come in. They're going to filter themselves out through our forms. We're going to ask them specific questions and learn more about them on the form. Then they're eventually going to watch a video or go to a sales call. Right? When those leads come in, I'm going to sell them off. So if someone says, hey, yeah, I'm interested in, in a business loan, sure. I'll learn a little bit more about them. That will go to that company to go get them a business loan. So Maybe you'll they, actually, you'll you'll talk to them and then you'll decide where to push it? There'll be two things. They'll filter themselves out on a form, form all by themselves. That'll be automated. And then, yes, we will be on the phone with them, learn more about them, and maybe it makes sense for them to go to another company to, for another service. Gotcha. So the certain services will provide, and there's service, certain services that maybe some companies that we're partnered with will provide, right? Okay. So just depends. But the the more ways we have to monetize the data then what happens is now my lead flow becomes free, right? Because maybe I sell a lead off for 20 bucks. Maybe I'll make some back-end money over there for some other service, whatever it is. But now that lead flow becomes cheaper than what it is, hopefully becomes free, maybe become profitable. And then now we get free leads all day long for our stuff. Now I can scale that to any heights I want because it's all being paid for anyway. So it's really a lead generation play, but we're also providing services because, well, why not? Got it. And then you still got a few others as well, correct? You're still doing, uh, you're helping people get placed. I mean, you're placing people on, on interviews. Is that, is that something new yeah. as well? Yeah, we do that. We, uh, working with people to get them on, uh, again, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. I do it myself just to show it that we can do it. A uh, bunch of articles, podcasts, obviously. Uh, so yeah, we do some PR stuff. Um, it's just a way to just, it's an easy way to, for me, it's an easy way to make money and it's a great, so I like doing things that are unique. I don't, I don't want to become a Facebook agency. Like that's not my play, right? right I want right. to do things that are different. You know, who can guarantee you're going to get somebody on NBC, right? So very few people do it. It's an industry that most people don't even know that exists. And, um, you know, I like to do that type of stuff. You bring in someone like Kevin, his team, you know, that's what, that's what, the smart entrepreneurs know, right? They, they like, I need to put myself around the right person, be in that room. That's why I'm part of Damon John's mastermind called Rise Nation, right? You got to put yourself in the room with these guys. And uh, if you want, I'll tell you my story with Damon and how I originally met him. Yeah, sure. So planned it out, right? So two weeks before I knew Damon was going to be at Traffic and Conversion Summit in San Diego, just going back to, I think, like 19... And what happened was um, I know Eric Sermon, who used to be part of a hip hop group called EPMD, early 90s. Uh, Eric's a big producer now, but I'm good. For, I've known Eric for a long time. And so I called him up. I'm like, hey, you know, Damon John, right? Like your boys from back in the day. He's like, yeah. He's like, all right, I need you to make a video with me telling Damon to work with me. He's like, OK, so go meet up with Eric makes a video. I didn't say a word in the video. Eric makes the video. I'm just standing next to him. He's going to see you next month in San Diego. You got to talk to him. So 
we're we're at TNC. I'm I'm stalking Damon. I see him doing a radio show. He walks out the radio show. The security everywhere. He's going into like the inner hallways of the Marriott Marquis in San Diego, and I just yell out his name and I walk right past security. I just like ran right past him, and I go Damon, and he turns around like I got a video from Eric Sermon for you, and he just looked at me weird, and he's like you know come here, show him the video. He's watching. He goes is that in New York? He's like, I'm like, yeah. He goes, Maury, come over here. Give me a business card. Let's talk. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so he's a, my biggest thing, man, is just being creative. Like, just do things differently. There's always a way to do things differently. It takes me right, it takes me right back to the three rules. Make friends. Rule number yeah. three. Rule <laughs> number three never fails. That's true. Uh, really fascinating stuff that you're doing. Uh, you, you, we, we'll link you up here in the show notes. Of course, your website, philipfsmith.com. We link that. We've got allinonemarketing.com. Anywhere else you want people to find you guys online. Yep. Uh, philipfsmith.com, easiest place to go. Okay. I've got one final question for you. Um, you've been doing a lot of things for a long time in the business world. You've got your hands in various places. You've been surrounded with sharks. You've been surrounded with big wigs. You've been surrounded with beginners. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've seen all types, all sizes, all shapes. Um, looking back over the last decade plus, once, once you started in this lead gen, what's been the most difficult thing that you've experienced personally in business, Phil, that you've had to overcome? People trying to screw me over. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I literally just happened. I had a guy that I... Took under my wing, fly him around the country first class, all this stuff, put him in rooms with Damon and Kevin and whatever. And he started stealing data from us, started doing things on the on the back end uh, behind her, started impersonating our company to get money out of people. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, that for me, being protective, I because I'm I'm I just trust everybody, right? Even if from New York, I do my best to trust everybody. Just assume they're going to do the right thing. As long as I do the right thing, I have so many people that just try to take advantage. I've had people just in, inside Loan Broker Network backdooring stuff, you know, trying to backdoor stuff. It's like I just don't understand it. But um, uh, I just let it, I, I let it go, and you know, move on because it is what it is. But the hardest thing for me was just to put people around you that you can trust to grow with which is why I don't have any employees still to this day, because it's so hard for me to trust people. Uh, but I've been dealing with that a long time. See, my first company had over 200 employees, and this is from 98 to 2005. So after that, I said, I never want to do this again. I want to work from home and I want employees. So I started doing this in 2006. So I've been doing this a long time. This isn't something I just started, um, you know, just the idea of working from home and, and not dealing with people. So I just try to find the best of breed in, in consultants because I can get rid of them anytime I want. Your employees, you're you're kind of stuck with them, right? So, I uh, that's the biggest thing, and just just finding good people. I mean, it all works the same. Finding good people, finding people you can trust that you can really grow with, and 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 really trust that they're going to do the right thing in the end. Yes, uh, and, and when you say that, that's the hardest thing. Has it been the hardest thing? Has it been more the the, the fact that these people essentially have stolen from you, like it's hurt your pocketbook, or is it more so the emotional and moral? uh betrayal that you feel from these people yeah it's not really a money thing because i guarantee you that they'll never actually turn it into something because if they could they would um it's not it's not money at all it's it's more about uh yeah it's about you know yeah it's the emotional side of it sure sure 100 yeah, the emotional side 
Well, and just, uh, and just like protect you going through it again. Like I won't go through this shit again. Like, like <laughs> a weird example. I, we had a, my first dog ever 2006 died in 2016. I never want to go through that again. So I never want another dog. Right. <laughs> so even though we have one and it was forced on me, I keep my distance. Like I don't let it start. And this goes back to my parents dying when I was young, a whole other side of me. But uh, but the emotional side of dealing with people that will go out of their way to screw you in the end. When you go out of your way to give them every opportunity that you can give them and stuff, they'll never have access to on their own. It's just so mind boggling to me. Yes. But, well, that's interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, and we won't we won't go. We could have done a whole episode on this, but I am curious that you brought it up is uh, how old were you when your parents passed? So my mom, so my parents got divorced when I was two. Uh, so I was just with my mom and she died in a car accident when I was 15. Oh, and then uh, my dad died of being an alcoholic a few years later. I went and moved in with my dad and then he he died of being an alcoholic. Was, so, your, uh, was your father an alcoholic prior to your mother's car accident or did it get a little crazy yeah, afterward? His whole life, practically, you know, that I know of that he was, an alcoholic. it's not a conversation I really had with him. And see, because, you know, it's funny, man, you know, when you look at it, when you're 15, it's your whole life. Now it's, you know, my forties. Now it's like a third of my life. And, you know, cause I have kids now. So I think about it every day. I'm so scared of dying on my kids. Like it's, you know, it's just it's such an emotional, emotional uh, roller coaster. Like when I travel and whatever, I travel all the time. I th- I go through the motions in my head. Like what if, and just because people tell me all the time, it won't happen, but how, the, how can you tell me it, <laughs> it can't happen? Right. So yeah, that's the whole side of me. I haven't gotten over it. Um, I, I cry a lot still to this day because of it. Um, it's just mm. when I start thinking, I could easily start crying right now just by talking about it. If well, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm in the same boat as you when it comes to that fear because I'm divorced. I've got I've got three girls, and uh, a, a major fear that I deal with all the time is what 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 if I get on this plane and the plane something goes funny. Right. What if I go do this? And, and that's something that I struggle with, too. Um, and I I I work on it and I fight it weekly, monthly, daily. It, it all depends on what's going on in my life. But I'm right there with you, brother. It's a it's a something that's hard to uh, it's hard to because uh, you think to yourself, how God forbid what happens if, if I'm not here? What is the, what do these kids lives look like? And that's yeah. a, a terrifying feeling. A hundred percent. I think about it. I travel. I literally travel practically the last two months straight. I've been on probably like 10 flights and every single time I go through it and, and uh, I'll, I'll sit there and just cry. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, well, that, not- that had to be a, a really traumatic, shocking experience as a 15 year old uh, to get that, to get that news. Uh, you must, that must've been the worst day of your life. I, I would imagine. Yeah. And, you know, the craziest part was I my was so I went to California to visit my sister. And that's when my mom died in a car accident. What happened, you know, here in New York. And what happened was I was crying before I was going. And my mom's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I didn't want to say anything. Finally, I said, I think so, I, I think something's going to happen to you when I leave. And I told my sister that. And uh, she's the one that told me. But your sister ended up telling you the news that the, that your mother passed in a car accident and she's the one that told me nothing would happen wow did you go to therapy for that kind of yeah <laughs> if looking you ba- looking back looking back do you wish you would have gone to more like sooner at a young age yeah because i'm a i uh it's made me a very angry person inside and um 
it comes out here and there, but uh, yeah, I'm almost like internally, I'm like a psychopath that wants to kill everybody. <laughs> kind of weird to say it out loud, but uh, I think about killing people every single day in my life that pissed me off because it go it, it I instantly go from being totally calm to like pretty cougar. You know what I mean? Like just in my mind, right? And it's never come out. Never did anything. I never hit anybody. I never got into a fight in my life. But it's it, I suppress it. It's almost um, think of like think about like a tornado, like that's going on in my brain, but on the outside it's totally calm. Well, yeah, I, mean, like that's I, the way I would you- imagine. I would imagine subconsciously those feelings are suppressed majorly because of those those children. I mean you going off to prison for the rest of your life is essentially the same thing as you dying. Exactly. In there for those kids. Where do you think that that's, is that, does that stem from, does that stem from losing your mother and then father? Where where do you think that anger comes from? It's more my mom. So, because it was, it was um, an instant thing that wasn't obviously planned. Right. So where my dad, we knew it was going to happen and it took three months. So you got to say goodbye and you know, it's totally different. But just that, like, she was my whole world, my whole life, right? I mean, it's just me and her. And um, just by it happening, the way it happened, and the fact that I thought something was going to happen. Oh, fucking thing. Oh, but yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it was. Well, it, and, and, and now anytime you get a, a slight feeling of something's going to happen, it's got to be crippling to you. I mean, you get a slight feeling. Like, I, I predicted it when I was 15, and then and then you carry it with you for days and weeks until maybe it passes. Yeah, yeah, it it stays there. Like, I can't even if I watch a, a show, a TV show, or movie, and a, and the kids' parents die, like I've, I'm done. Mm. And I mean, like it's just bad. Yeah. Like the amount of my time I cry, dude. Like you just yeah. have no idea. And it's just this littlest things just trigger it. Uh, I could be watching Blue Bloods, you know, just some stupid ass <laughs> show, and just like yeah. it just starts off with that. I'm like, I'm balling. Um, well, anyway, it's it's yeah, bad. No. Uh, listen, I, I think I think crying <laughs> is therapy, and I do think only the strong uh, are are the ones that are able to show their emotions. So, uh, hey, listen, continued blessings to you. That, that's you know, this podcast that I do really focuses more on that type of stuff: self help, self improvement, personal development. So I have these conversations with folks all the time. We obviously get in in business. We 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 touch everything, business and, and sports and all this stuff, but. Uh, we, we could have done a whole episode, um, talking about your, your story and your, your path. And maybe we will, maybe we'll do a, a part two sometime. Um, but Kevin F Smith or Kevin Philip F Smith. I see Kevin Harrington in the background there on your picture, uh, Philip F Smith.com, um, all in one marketing.com. We'll link that in the show notes, brother. This was fascinating stuff and, and continued success to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. It's been great.